Today's opening thought is based on the 1990 hit by the Backstreet Boys from the album Millennium, I Want It That Way. I think really my only question is, what is it and what is that referring to in I Want It That Way? Because you kind of need to know what it is and what that way is before you could make this kind of agreement. I think we can all admit it's a great song. It's maybe the perfect song, maybe the best single song ever made in all of mankind's history. One thing I did learn, though, is that the song was written by someone who wasn't a native English speaker. They had learned English as their second language. And upon writing this song, they had not quite mastered the subtleties of the language. So, so perhaps it makes more sense in the author's native language, but it is never explained in the song. And what is that way compared to the way it is now is also never explained. So we have no comparative status between the current situation and the it and how it will be treated in the future. Yeah, I want it that way. But I don't know how it is now, so I don't know if that way will be better or worse for me. So it's very difficult for me to come to a sensible agreement on the statement, I want it that way, whether or not I want to participate in the that way in which it will be. Something to think about, listen to the song, and decide if you would really go into an agreement blind like this, just because the five charming young men are singing in unison. I'm actually really unhappy about last week's episode, episode 103, primarily because I don't feel like I express myself well. And I've said this to some of my friends I've met in life who listen to the podcast, and I've interacted with a couple of friends online who have also listened to the podcast. And the one thing I've learned about at least my friends or the people who are fans of the podcast who actually interact with me is that they are very generous because they are all saying very positive things. It was a good episode. I think maybe they were just trying to make me feel better, but that's, that's something I have to show some appreciation for. But the reason I wasn't happy with it, there's actually two things. The reviews themselves. I did some mobile game reviews. I hadn't decided what I wanted to say. I hadn't set sort of a structure. So one got kind of an in-depth review and the others got passed over very quickly. And this immediately says to me, I shouldn't have tried to review multiple games unless I just wanted to make recommendations. Like, don't take time to explain them. Don't get into one deep and then just gloss over the others. So, and the second part is the fat people on zip lines. Because I knew going in that as soon as you say the word fat um, and talking about basically a physical failure, you're kind of fat shaming. And that's not the feeling I wanted to go for. What I was actually talking about was not understanding your own abilities and hubris and things like that. So I realize now, having listened to it, having had some time to think about it, I either should have done a very short joke, using that as the premise, uh, more like a comedy routine, 
or I should have gone more into the hubris and actually talked about it more in depth, the mindset of the people when they go into these things. So I feel like because I tried to do both, kind of go through the middle, it wasn't funny enough to be a joke, but it wasn't serious enough to be something that was interesting to listen to. So I wasn't satisfied with that. My immediate solution was I'll take that one down and just erase it from history and then maybe reintroduce those topics again in the future. But then I thought, no, this is kind of a learning process. What I should actually do is leave it up and still do those elements again. So I'm not going to do them today. I don't want you to listen to the same podcast twice in a row, but I am thinking down the line in the future, I will revisit those topics. I'll do some mobile reviews, the same games, but I'll do it more correctly. And I'll try to reintroduce the topic of fat people on zip lines. But once you've already heard the premise, it's kind of done. You don't really need to hear it again. So I'm trying to decide though, should I try to make it into a short two, three minute comedy routine? Or should I try to actually talk about the thing in depth? I don't think I have the skills to make jokes at least not with this subject matter yet. I don't have that kind of level of talent. So I think talking about the psychology is more in my wheelhouse where I would be more successful because then at least you could understand what I find funny about it. It's not about a fat person getting hurt. It's actually one of the things I find amusing about fail videos is people trying to do things they clearly are not capable of doing. So what I've learned myself is that when I go into a premise, I really have to commit to the premise, but I also have to have a sense of the structure more carefully planned out before I jump right into it. Another mistake I think I've been making is that I've been trying to actually stretch the podcast out to 20 minutes. When I started, I had in my mind that I would use five minutes as my target. I figured one voice and people listening to one person would really only be interesting for a very short amount of time. So five minutes was kind of my goal. I would drift into like between five and 10 quite regularly. But trying to keep it short was kind of my first thing. Now as I've added segments and tried to add more stuff, I found that I'm actually trying to push it up to 20 minutes and then get a little farther. The other thing I'm planning on doing is actually pulling back the time. So since I have the segments, I have core questions, my opening thought, and then whatever the main topic is. For the next few weeks, I'm going to try to do just that, and then I'm going to stop. So that should pull it back to about 10 to 15 minutes. And that seems like, again, a reasonable amount of time. If it starts to drift naturally into longer as I get better at this, then as long as it happens organically, I think it's going to be successful. But me trying to force it or push it also seems to be a mistake. So you can expect the next few podcasts, at least, to be a little shorter. What are some reasons not to study in Canada? I don't really get why Quora has so many people focused on making Canada look bad or the negative questions about Canada. Canada is not that important. But it seems like whenever Americans have issues, Canada's probably brought up as the counterpoint as when they talk about healthcare, Canada has successful healthcare. When they talk about gun control, Canada has fairly successful gun control. So I think that's why there are so many people on the internet looking to bash Canada down so that they can make themselves feel good about living in America. There are lots of reasons not to study in Canada if you're not Canadian. Because as a Canadian, you are subsidized by the government. So education in Canada is very cheap if you're a Canadian citizen. If you're not a Canadian citizen, you have to pay full price. If you're willing to spend that much money, you should go to the best university regardless of where it is in the world. The top Canadian university isn't going to be significantly better or worse than the top American universities or the top universities in Europe. If you're going to pay full price, you should pick the best one for what you're studying and go there regardless of country. That will guarantee you more success. One weird experience I had, this was right when I finished high school and I was working for a year before I went off to university. I was working in a cookware store 
And this woman, she was married to a professional football player. Now, he wasn't good enough to get into the American Football League. So he came to Canada. And this actually happens a lot. A lot of Canadian football players are actually Americans who've come primarily because they're not good enough for the American leagues. Maybe they get better and they can go back and try out. Or maybe they live out their life in Canada miserable and unhappy because they're in this country that sucks so bad. But when I was talking about deciding what universities to apply to, she said to me that it would be better if I went to any American university as opposed to going to a university in Canada. So the first thing I brought up was my point here, price. Does it make sense to pay literally hundreds of thousands of dollars more for an education that isn't going to be any better? Because I was at a point where I was going to get into a very good university. I got into, at the time, was the number two or number three university in Canada, if you care about rankings. Education I got from it, I don't really think it mattered which university I went to, but that's a whole other story where I start complaining about education practices in North America and the world. But her counter-argument was the worst university in America is probably better than the best university in Canada. I would be getting my money's worth if I went to America as opposed to staying here. So in her mind, the top university in Canada, which probably is McGill University, renowned for its excellence and high standards, is not as good as Podunk University in Kentucky. And it would have been worth me going into severe debt. Because again, there's no subsidies for me as a foreigner. Severe, severe debt for literally decades and decades in student loans if I go to this crap university in America. There was no convincing her of anything else. She was absolutely set on this belief. No argument would change her mind. And I think that is the mindset we're kind of running into where these people have decided America is best and they just need to find ways to prove it. This is an interesting one. Does Japan have airports? The answer is no. So something that's hit the internet actually a couple times, I think, which immediately makes it a little suspect, and it's one of these things that people really like talking about because it involves the internet, science, and pornography. And that, as a combination, is just a delight. It's something that everyone enjoys. The premise of the story is that there were neuroscientists or people studying the brain or the effects of the internet slash pornography on the brain. And the problem they were running into was they couldn't find a control group with which to study the effects of pornography, specifically on the male brain. And the reason they couldn't find a control group is because they couldn't find anyone who had never looked at internet porn. And then we all go, ah, ha, 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 ha. All men look at pornography. How shamefully base. Now, I, after thinking about this for a minute, kind of called bullshit. These are supposed to be neuroscientists. These are supposed to be smart people. And I, within three or four minutes into a conversation about this topic, I had already come up with two solutions to this problem for a control group of people who'd never seen internet pornography. Immediately, this is suspect to me. This is something that seems like people who are generally smarter than me weren't able to solve this problem that I was able to solve with just a few minutes of thought. That seems suspicious. What you need to do is find a group of people who have never seen internet porn. What you really need to do then, just to make sure it's safe, is to find a group of people who have never seen the internet. My first thought was the Amish. You go find a group of Amish people and you study their brain, and there you go, you have a group of people who have never seen internet pornography because they don't have the internet. Granted, there will be significant difficulties to getting them to submit to a bunch of scientific tests that probably involve machines, which they're kind of against, with the Amish, you also have a secondary 
problem in that I'm basically suggesting you have to get a segment of those people addicted to internet pornography to study the difference. So one of the things you would need to check is that their basic brain patterns are similar. There's no way they're going to be the same. But if they grow up in the same environment, you don't want people from the city who've been exposed to technology all their life as the test group and the Amish as the control group. You would actually have to take a group of Amish people, take 50% of your group that you've chosen, and start introducing them to internet pornography. So getting them addicted to it so that you can see the difference in their thinking and the brainwaves and patterns, that's a bit unethical. But also, maybe you're opening them up to some new horizons. I don't know how that will work out. So when I threw that brick wall up against myself, because I don't need other people to cause problems in my scenarios, I can do that for myself and then solve those problems. I thought, well, all you have to do is go to a place where internet is not common. My first thought was rural India, because I know that they do experiments in rural India with the internet because they want to see how children who have never seen the internet interact with computers. So they've run these experiments before, and they were looking at social behavior more than anything else, and then trying to find out how quickly the kids could advance, how, how fast they would learn, things like that. But that means in India, you have large populations of people who have not seen internet pornography. But we also know it's where a lot of our outsourcing goes. So you have a lot of people who do have access to internet pornography. There are your two groups. It's technically culturally similar, so their brain function, their brain layout, their brain patterns should be similar uh, culturally speaking. But you would have one group that does look at internet pornography and one group that does not. You have your group of people in India, and again, a country with a billion people. I would actually assume that relatively rich people within the society actually have access to the internet. That might be a significant difference that needs to be taken into account, which is why I actually believe, sort of like the Amish situation, you actually have to take a group of similar people, so rural farmers, whatnot, who don't have access to the internet, you take half of that group and you get them addicted to internet porn, and there you go. Now you can start testing real differences between a group with a control group who still has not seen internet porn. As Western people talking about the internet, we feel like the internet is ubiquitous. We feel like it is everywhere all the time. I have my smartphone with me all the time. I get home, the first thing I do, my phone automatically connects to the Wi-Fi. I go up to my computer, it's connected to the internet. My PlayStation is connected to the internet. I have about 20, 30 devices connected to the internet at any time. But the reality is we live in rich societies. The only way you're listening to this podcast is if you are so connected to the internet that you can download garbage podcasts to listen in your free time. Uh, there are huge swaths of the planet where they don't have time for that. They have real back-breaking work to do. And sitting around listening to me talk on a podcast is just unthinkable as a waste of time for them. But should someone bring up this experiment where they could not find men who had never looked at porn, I think you may have run into one of these stories where the actual story itself has changed over time where they've introduced a couple of elements, because there is no way it's impossible to find. I'm sure there's huge parts of Africa that don't have access to the internet, groups in South America, Asia. There are lots and lots of people in the world who have never seen the internet. And thus, I alone have forwarded science once again. The Loss of, 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 the loss of podcast. The Loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast.